The Ontario Medical Association warning about reduced access to health care as this pandemic stretches on. And for more on this now, we're joined by the head of the OMA, Dr. Adam Kassam, is back with us here on Global News Radio. Doctor, good afternoon. Appreciate your time as always. Yeah, it's good to be with you. All right, let's dig into this uh, survey just completed by the OMA. What exactly is it saying when it comes to Ontarians accessing health care? Yeah, so Jeff, over the last few months, the OMA is engaged in the most comprehensive consultation in our 140-year history. So what we really wanted to do was to hear from the public to understand their priorities so that ultimately we can improve the way healthcare is delivered. And in fact, 8,000 people took part in our survey from over 600 communities across the province. And what we found from their responses was that 80% of them said that uh, the importance of healthcare was not being discussed in their community in the ways that they wanted to. And in fact, what they found to be the most frequently selected uh, issue was wait times. And I'll tell you, Jeff, over the past 19 months, there have been 16 million points of care that have been delayed as a result of COVID-19. That's someone's hip or knee replacement that's gone delayed. It's someone's cataract surgery that's gone delayed. It's a cancer or screening or diagnostic uh, procedure that's gone delayed, like a mammogram or a colonoscopy. So this is one of the biggest concerns that not only the public is experiencing, but of course, it seized the profession as well. Okay, well, let's talk about this a little bit more because, you know, there are reports in the news today, particularly when it comes to uh, children getting access to a health care and parents are becoming increasingly frustrated because their pediatricians are still not seeing their kids face to face. And we're hearing, doctor, that uh, a lot of uh, frustrated parents are just uh, going to the emergency room now to get assessed and for treatment. So I think, Jeff, that uh, over the past 19 months, we've seen what has obviously been a hybrid approach to healthcare, which is both a mixture of virtual and in-person services. And as a physiatrist, I'm a rehab doctor and I see sports medicine patients. I also see patients with disabilities. And for, for in my line of work, we need to see patients in person. And in fact, the majority of physicians have been doing exactly that. And so we're at a point now where moving forward, we're actually going to be transitioning, hopefully, uh, move, you know, as a, as a profession into more in-person care. And I think that uh, this obviously has an impact on not only, uh, you know, pediatricians and, and kids and, and, and people who need care in that perspective, but also uh, the surgical, the diagnostic, as well as the procedural care that needs to be delivered to uh, the nearly 14 million people across the province. Yeah. What does this tell you, if anything, about telehealth in its future? Because, you know, I think the uh, pandemic, we've seen a lot of, you know, we'll call them, I guess, experiments like the work from home uh, experiment, whether that's uh, here to stay. And uh, telehealth, we've had to, uh, you know, obviously rely on that when it comes to our uh, doctors and uh, healthcare. We've leaned on that uh, more than ever. Is there still a role, do you think, Dr. Kassam, for so-called telehealth? Or what you're hearing in this survey is that overwhelmingly people want to see their doctor be examined in person. Well, when you think about care delivered virtually, Jeff, I think what's important to understand is what the proper dose for that kind of care is. And so what that means is there's a, probably a, a right frequency, um, there's the right intensity, there's also the right patient population to be selected to use this kind of modality. I do think that there is an understanding that virtual care is here to stay in some capacity. It's a determination now of appropriateness and making sure that people are getting the care that they need at the time they need it, and obviously the most high-quality care as possible, which in many circumstances requires patients to be seen in person by a physician. Yeah, are we in still a bit of a transitional period, both for the healthcare providers plus us as uh, patients, so those receiving uh, healthcare, that this is just something we're still learning about and have to adapt to on both sides? 
I think so. I think pre-pandemic we had very little uptake of virtual care, and, and during the pandemic that pendulum swung in the entirely opposite direction. And I think now we're starting to see a recalibration of where that new normal is going to be. And so I think that moving forward, as we get that dose right, as I was just explaining earlier, that's really going to be a strategy for success. And ultimately, this is a, uh, an area of collaboration between all health system partners to get this to get this right. Right back to the survey for a quick second. You mentioned eighty percent of those that were surveyed say that healthcare is just not being discussed enough. How do we get those conversations ignited? And when it comes to access to a healthcare, what is, I guess, the number one thing you think we need to do to improve that access? Well, I think the pandemic has really highlighted, Jeff, just how important healthcare is to all of us. And so I think when we think about the next 12 months, when moving into a provincial election, for example, I think this is going to be top of mind for not only the political parties, but certainly for uh, patients and communities across the province. And I think that when we think about where healthcare is going to, I think we have an opportunity to think about transformation. And when we think about that, maybe there's a bit of that with virtual care, but also how do we reorganize the healthcare system to provide better service, faster service, and highest quality service as possible? And that comes down to integration of care between siloed networks of care that currently exist. It also has to do with making sure that we're pandemic-proofing our healthcare system for the future. We should have been ready for this one. we got to be ready for the next one. I remember Jeff going into the hospitals in early 2020 and being rationed masks. And so, you know, figuring out what our infrastructure looks like now and for the future, that's going to be really important. And of course, during the first couple of waves of this pandemic, and uh, we're starting to see this now in terms of boosting uh, long-term care residents, uh, how do we bolster community-based care, long-term care, and home care for the future as well? You know, it seems like we've been talking about this ad nauseum uh, forever, Dr. Kasim, about access to uh, health care and just uh, how many people in the province still don't even have a family doctor. They've lost a family doctor, been unable to find a, another one. Is it just a simple case that we just need more doctors or is the problem when it comes to accessing health care much more complex than that? I think it's a, it's a complex problem, although the, the doctor shortage is a real one. We're one of the lowest in terms of OECD. Uh, peer nations in terms of physicians per capita, that that needs to improve. We need more uh, physicians who are currently being trained as well as practicing across the province. We have to, I think, uh, optimize where that care is delivered and how. So certain you know, patient populations require certain types of doctors and numbers of doctors in, to be to be funneled into those areas, and so that that's a conversation about health human resources and 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 um, and forecasting need for a growing and aging population. That's a conversation that's ongoing, and then ultimately we need the support and funding to be able to do this. You talked about a million patients across the the province who we don't have access to a family doctor. This goes back to important the importance of strengthening and bolstering and ultimately shoring up primary care as uh, the the bedrock for. Uh, for our healthcare system writ large, and that means uh, having uh, adequate funding and, and sustainability for family doctors to do their jobs. Just want to circle back on something you said a moment ago about uh, better managing the uh, pandemic uh, moving forward, and you also referenced, of course, a number of surgeries that have sadly been postponed or, or canceled because of it, because of the overload in hospitals. What is the better way moving forward if we're living with COVID and the pandemic for the foreseeable future, maybe the rest of our uh, lives? Uh, how do we best handle this? Uh, I mean, we can't just continue to bump people's treatments in surgeries uh, because of COVID, right? Absolutely not. We we know that uh, small problems become big problems if we 
if we have a delays in if we have delays in care or if people aren't coming in to see their 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 provider or their their physician. And so what we want to do first of all is to reassure patients to make sure that they know that their doctors are open to be seen. I was just on a call earlier today with a, with a doctor from Richmond Hill who was saying that they throughout the pandemic have been open and have been encouraging their patients despite them being scared uh, to come and see them. And so I think that number one, the physicians are there and they want to they want to help. Number two is really creating a strategy for the future, and that means having a, a strategy for frailty, a strategy for mental health, a strategy for access. And this has to come. This has to come down to that collaboration with key system partners, but also understanding load sharing. We did this during the pandemic. I think we can do it for a larger period of time moving forward, and ultimately making sure that our system has the adequate resources and funding to be able to do that for uh, for for generations to come. Joined by Dr. Adam Kassam, head of the Ontario Medical Association. Well, we have you here, Doctor. I wanted to ask you, too, about this uh, latest survey that is uh, just out, uh, or I guess uh, findings, uh, when it comes to uh, Pfizer, that it shows actually waning immunity starts as early as two months after you have been uh, fully uh, vaccinated. How much of a concern is that, that the immunity starts to uh, wane just 60 days after you've had the shot? I think we have to define waning immunity. I think there, it, you know, the, 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 the proof of the pudding is in the eating, and so I think that when we think about waning immunity, we have to look a little bit deeper into the details of the data. And, and I think that so far, we're still seeing very robust data to suggest that vaccines, despite uh, how long it's been since the second dose, for example, that it's still preventing significant disease, meaning a hospitalization or, or, or worse, even death. And so that should be reassuring for all of us. I know that there are jurisdictions across the country right now that are thinking about uh, boostering uh, their population. And I think that that is something that is likely to happen. It's already happening, in fact, in Ontario, where there are certain uh, uh, lists of individuals and patients who would qualify for a, for a third dose. Those include patients who've had transplants or who have active chemotherapy radiation or who are on active immunosuppressive therapies for um, for diseases like HIV or AIDS or other autoimmune disorders. And so we are currently doing that. But I think that there is an understanding that eventually that this will happen. It's just um, a matter of time. And do we have to look at places such as Northwest Territories? I know that they've been, you know, talking a lot about breakthrough uh, cases there, and they attribute that to early uh, immunization, that uh, they were fully uh, vaccinated, a majority of their population, very early on, and they are concerned that that uh, immunization is now waning to the point that they're seeing more and more breakthrough cases. Do we have to keep our eye on that? I think so. I think there is some heterogeneity in our um, in our vaccine rollout across the country. I know in Ontario we've had not only a delay in terms of between the first and second doses for a lot of folks, but in fact some of the data suggests uh, that that actually provides longer immunity. And so I think we will see a little bit of difference across regions where they either had uh, vaccines early on and, and in a shorter time frame in terms of the first and second doses. That also includes other patient populations as well as healthcare pr- providers and workers who got the vaccine a little bit earlier on. And so I I think we have to keep our eye on this. We have to look at uh, what, the, what that targeted approach may be, and it's very likely to have that, uh, that strategy for, um, for, for coverage for third doses. All right, Dr. Adam Kasim, head of the Ontario Medical Association. Doctor, always appreciate the time and always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Jeff, thank you. And we're back after a quick break here on Global News Radio.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.